you've got your Bible, your Old Testament, or if you've got your cell phone, however you work things, 1 Kings chapter 17, where we are this morning. I'm gonna have two messages, one uh, today and one next Sunday on 1 Kings 17, uh, Elijah and uh, what happens to him in this unusual situation. I think you'll find this message helpful. I know I did when I heard it in my head, um, but it's a message that we all need to take to heart from time to time. Not only heart, but in, in practice. And it goes like this. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, now Ahab is a wicked king. He's an apostate actually. This guy's bad news. Uh, they worship under him, his rule, they worship the god Baal. Uh, Baal's a, a nasty character. And he said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew, this is a strong statement, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Man, that's putting yourself out there, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to say it's not going to rain. It's another thing to say, like, in Miami, it's not going to snow. Okay, all right. But when you start saying there's not even going to be dew, not even dew in the morning, except at my word. Jeez Louise. Now, what's more important when he makes that statement is that Baal is thought to be the god of the sky or the god of weather, <laughs> so now he's, he's in the face of Baal saying, we're not even going to have rain. And my friend, we're not even going to have dew. That's how serious I am about it. Uh, in the presence of the God that I serve and at my word, that's the way it's going to be. As the Lord God Israel lives, he's trying to emphasize that his God is alive. We're not going to have any dew or any rain. That's what you call uh, putting it all out there. Very dark days of Ahab's apostasy were upon them. And this man of God appears as this dominant spiritual force on the scene. Very few people are, we, best you can tell, worshiping Yahweh in northern Israel. It's a dark time. And here comes Elijah. Elijah's name means Yahweh is God. No hiding what this guy's about, right? Yahweh is God. Now, the eradication of the worship of Yahweh in northern kingdom and the proliferation of the, of the priest of Baal is serious. Like these, these priests of Baal are walking around the streets in their garb. They're, they're just licentious, debase, Okay. Let me give you an idea. I'll use a word right now that'll mean something to you to describe the prophets and the priests of Baal. Hamas. All right, you with me? Hamas. So we got this Hamas uh, religion going on here, and you have these priests of Baal and rise to power, and they're persecuting what's left of the Israelites. Nobody really knows. It seems like it's all over. But there are 7,000 of these people spread throughout the land, 7,000 who would not worship Baal. 
would not bow their knee to Baal nor kiss his hand. 7,000. A secret remnant, silent, still, and most of them unaware of one another. 7,000. Baal was known to be the God of the sky, as I say, the, the weather channel God. And here it is, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except in my word. Now we know from the book of James, chapter five, verse 17 and 18, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three years and six months. This is no joke. Okay, there's no dew and there's no rain for three and a half years. I know it's a little dry here in the mountains, but three and a half years, no rain and no dew. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So he showed a strength greater uh, his life with God than that of Baal. But he's in danger, big danger. Um, he's not only put himself out there, he's now become a target. And Elijah, not knowing of the 7,000 in the remnant, feels all alone and he's vulnerable, and my guess is there's con contracts out on him, so they're trying to kill this man. Then the, and then the, the chapter goes on to say, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide. Yes, that's what it says, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded, this is interesting, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Aren't the ravens sort of like the, you go up to, Cal, uh, you go up to Canada, the ravens are huge, they're, they're scary. I mean, they make crows look like sparrows. The ravens, they're talking, these are big. These, aren't these the animals that eat the scraps of dead things on the side? These things are nasty, big and nasty. He says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Wow. You know, you take a man of God like this Elijah dude, and you say, all right, first of all, I want you to go hide. That's weird. And then I want you to get by this brook, and that's going to be your source of water. Oh, and I'm going to use these nasty nasty birds that would freak most people out. They're gonna bring you bread and meat morning and evening. Oh, and I know you're Jewish and everything, but they're unclean birds. This is God's plan. I'm gonna send these nasty, unclean birds to feed you, and you're gonna be so dependent upon the nasty, unclean birds, and you're gonna be dependent on me to drink water from this brook that flows into the Jordan. That's what he knows so far. Big man of God, big, big messenger man, cable TV minister, this is what he's doing. Elijah was in need of a hiding place. Um, but, there's something about the way God interacts with Elijah that I think he interacts with us in the same manner, although we don't always get it. Elijah's maybe not getting it, but he's fixing to learn it. You know when you push on your GPS, 
and you look at, all, it has a list of all the turns you're going to make. You're going to go five miles, you're going to turn right. You're going to go 8.3 miles, you're going to turn left. Then you're going to yield this way after five more miles. GPS gives you a step-by-step-by-step -step -step instruction on what you're going to do all the way from point A to point B. And if you go about the same speed limit, it's going to tell you within a minute or two what time you're going to arrive at your destination. Well, the first thing that God says to Elijah is, I want you to go 8.9 miles north, and I want you to hide next to the brook Cherith. Step one, do it. Don't worry about step two, three, four, or five. Just do what I told you to do. I have commanded the unclean, nasty, bacteria-ridden birds who never clean up, never wash, in their beak will come food morning and night. That's the setup. He says, get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith. Cherith means to cut away, to cut up, or to cut off. Here's a man who's, who's headed for absolute destitute loneliness, all alone, up in the north. Some of you have been up there with me and my wife. Up north, no one knows he's there. Forget the 7,000. This is, this is his payoff for ministry. How exciting. Psalm 32 and 7. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Uh, this is the theme today, hiding place. Um, hiding place. You know, this is kind of in us. It's kind of in our DNA, kind of, like all of us as human beings have this, some more than others, this hiding place mentality. I think it starts early, actually. What's the first thing that Adam did after he sinned in the garden? He hid in the trees. That's the first thing you do. We like hiding places, okay? Um, when, when we were... Uh, uh, giving gifts to our kids a couple Christmases, they were really little. We bought them little tents that weren't meant to go outside. They were meant to stay in the house. And they were different colors, one for our, our son, one for our daughter. And they would go play in those tents during the week. That was their hiding place. I remember when I was a kid, down in the basement of one of the th three or 4,000 homes that I lived in, there was a, this thing up there in the rafters. You could crawl up there in my little boy's mind, the, it was an incredibly clever hiding place, but it just seemed like everybody that walked by saw me up there, so maybe not. But in my head, I was hiding in this cool spot up there that no one else knew about. Hiding place. Um, I, I would get under the covers, just like you, as though these covers are like armor. <laughs> like these covers are going to protect me from the monster I knew was under the bed, who would stick out its head or gun or whatever it had. Hiding place. I, I need a hiding place in my life. You need a hiding place. Um, God came up with these hiding places, realizing our need for them. A prayer closet is meant to be a hiding place. Not, now, I'm talking about physical places now, but what, what I'm really trying to say is God is our hiding place. God is our fort. How many of you as little boys had a fort in the backyard? 
Man, we did. We shot arrows. We shot each other. We never shot anybody's eye out. Although we were always told we would, we never did. We shot at pets. We shot at everything. We had a hiding place. Um, Let me put it in adult language for you. Christ, at some level, has to be your hiding place because sometimes in life, there's just too many bill collectors. There's too many phone calls. There's too many temptations. There's, there's just too much stress. You need songs of deliverance. I went through a period of depression at the University of Georgia one time, and they had a bus system that ran around the campus. I got on the outer bus, the one that went the furthest distance, the one that when you got on it, you could stay on it the longest without having to change. I remember one day, I must have rode around that campus of Athens seven or eight times. That bus became my hiding place. I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with school, with athletics. I was overwhelmed with my own behavior. I I was just overwhelmed, and I needed a place to sit and be invisible where no one could see me. No one could talk to me. I could just be there and somehow, maybe, hopefully, try to process something and get off that bus seven or eight trips later, a whole day spent on the UGA bus. I needed a hiding place. And I think life sometimes necessitates a hiding place. And God, knowing that, says, wait a minute, man. I am your hiding place. You can come to me, and I can envelop you. I can hold you. I can kind of put up some walls around you. We don't have to tell anybody you're in here, but you're in here because, quite frankly, you're in here because there's too much out there. I'm not going to allow you to just deny that anything's out there that's hard, nor am I going to protect you from it forever, but right now, it's pretty overwhelming. Right now, you need a bomb shelter. I'm your bomb shelter. You are my hiding place, Lord Jesus. Elijah is overwhelmed with the number of people who have a price on his head. In the name of God, he stood up into a whole religious system, a whole army of people and priests, a whole civilization of people with customs and mores, and all alone with no backing, God says, you need to hide, man. I'm gonna take you to Brook Cherith. A telemarketer called a home one day and a small voice whispered, hello. Hello, what's your name? Still whispering, the voice said, Jimmy. How old are you, Jimmy? I'm four. Good, is your mother home? Yes, but she's really busy. Okay, is your father home? He's busy too. I see, who else is in there? The police are here. The police? May I speak to one of them? They're busy. Any, any other grown-ups there? The firemen are here too. May I speak with the firemen, please? They're all busy. Jimmy, all those people in your house and I can't talk with any of them, what are they doing? Looking for me, whispered Jimmy. Jimmy needed a hiding place. 
And we do sometimes, my friend. And God says, drink from the brook. Go ahead and drink from the brook. He says, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Only there will they feed you. See, I want you to be in the hiding place and I've commanded them to feed you in the hiding place. That really, the statement is, don't change your hiding place because if you do, they won't feed you there. They're only gonna feed you here in this hiding place, Brook Cherith. This is where they're gonna feed you. So get used to that. This is where you're gonna be. This is where you're gonna hide. And I've commanded some nasty birds. How do, how does a divine being command a nasty bird to feed a human being? I have no idea. Do they speak English? Do they speak Hebrew? Do they speak Aramaic? Do they speak what? I don't know. But he commanded these birds to feed. These birds now have a mission in life, and they're feeding Elijah at Brook Cherith. And Elijah's going to learn what dependence on God is all about. Dependence not only on God, but something unclean. Elijah is getting to look at the law of God and having to reconcile himself with the law of God or the spirit of the law of God. The contract of God or the spirit of the contract of God. See, the ravens are unclean, but God still used them. I'm unclean. You're unclean. God still uses us. Rahab the prostitute, pretty sure she was unclean. Ruth the Moabitess, fairly sure she was unclean. In the bloodline of Christ, absolutely. Right there in the first chapter of Matthew. Abraham in chapter 12, verse one through three, came to an understanding that God was gonna use clean and unclean, and as long as we're going ahead and branding and naming and labeling things, we're all unclean. How about that? including the ravens. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Can a good, clean person bring a good word? Yes. But an unclean vessel can bring a good word as well. When we get in the situation where we become judge and jury of who is worthy and who is not, and we fail to take the plank out of our own eye, we become unclean even if we weren't. God's taking them to school. One can bring spiritual food to others and be spiritually unclean themselves and sustain life. There are many ravens in the church who are in need of serving in the church. Let me say that again. There are many ravens in the church in need of serving in the church. Just a couple of weeks ago, a guy, a couple, this is the second or third time he said this to me before the service. You know how you're kind of talking in, in passing and the service is about to start? He may, he may be here today. I don't know. I haven't seen him. Something along the lines, I'm not a bad man, but I'm not a good man either. Something, I can't remember the exact quote, but what he's really saying is, hey, listen, I haven't arrived yet. And I felt like, and every time he says that, basically, I said, well, shoot, you're in the right place, man. You think any of these people have arrived? 
Man, we're the Ravens. If we're gonna root for a football team, we're, we're gonna root for the Ravens. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know about you. And I, I, I know I can't be perfect to deliver a message. If that were the case, I wouldn't do 45 messages a year, 47, 49, whatever it is. If I had to be perfect, we'd be right at zero. Zero. If you're here today and you're more a raven than you are a dove, you're in the right place. God can command you just like he commands a dove. You can sustain life and you can change. God can transform you. You see, a little boy having read this incident about the ravens, he's sitting at home with his mom one night and they're kind of poor and they don't have much. And his mother just read this story about the ravens bringing bread. The little boy, having read this incident with his widowed mother one wintry night, as they sat in front of the fireless room beside a bare table, he asked her if he might set the door open for God's ravens to come in. It's a true story. He was so sure that they must be on their way. The man in the German town that was passing by was attracted by the sight of the open door and entered, inquiring the cause. When he learned the reason, he said, I'll be God's raven and relieve their need then and afterward. All the kid knew is he didn't need to worry about ravens being clean or unclean. He just needed to give them access into the house. And along comes a man who takes care of their needs. Why do we complicate our faith? I have no idea. Why not open the door? There's no fire in the fireplace anyway. Give the ravens a chance to come in. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, but there had been no rain in the land. The brook dries up. I mean, what do I mean? I thought it was God's brook. I mean, I thought God had this thing figured out where you go up to brook Cherith and drink all the water you want and then eat from the unclean birds. Wouldn't you think that as long as he sent Elijah up there to hide out. I mean, what's it to God? Why can't he just make the water keep flowing even though there's no rain? Why not? Why not just keep the thing miraculously going? He'll keep drinking and we'll get this thing, this hideout thing, this plan, just bring it to his fruition. Well, God doesn't operate that way. He can do more in another situation. And it's then that the GPS turns and he has to take a different turn. He has to head toward a the widow of Zarephath. See, God is interested in providing for us and helping us become dependent upon him, but he's also wanting to include others in the process so they can learn as well. I'm gonna give you a word that I'm not sure we totally understand. It's a word we may have understood years ago, most of us. It's a word that uh, it lacks security and comfort and convenience, and confidence. It's, uh, it's a word that uh, we used back when we didn't have um, cushy bank accounts. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But the word is desperation. When's the last time 
you were desperate. I mean desperate. And for most of us, myself included, I think that's been a while. I used to, I'm proud of this, talk about the Red Cross blood drive. I used to donate plasma twice a month as a college student because at the time they were paying about $17.50. You could do that twice a month. They take the plasma out of your blood and put the red blood cells back in. What's the problem? I needed the $17.50 to cover the CNS check I wrote a couple days before. That's desperate. I'm writing a check to go to a party knowing that tomorrow I'm going to donate plasma to cover the check. Is anybody more desperate than that? Desperation. You know, desperation is a serious motivator. You put somebody in legal trouble, there's desperation. You put somebody's freedom on the line, there's desperation. Desperation isn't necessarily a bad thing. Desperation could be a good thing. I'm looking for desperation in my own life. If I'm desperate for souls to come to Christ, I'll do almost anything and move heaven and earth to make sure that someone comes to Christ. I'm desperate. If I'm gonna love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I am not gonna do that feeling pretty cushy. I, I don't know that I'm gonna bring all to the table, all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my, come on. I need some desperation. Give me something to mix in there that amps the game up, amps the stakes up. Let me start thinking about people literally going to hell. Let's get desperate about that. Spurgeon says, I don't know. He said, I'm pretty desperate. He said, let me be seen at the gates of hell holding on to the ankles of those who have yet to receive Christ and let me hold them and share the gospel at the same time. That's desperation. You put me in front of a judge, I'll be desperate. You make me feel pay fines, I'll be desperate. You put me on probation, I'll be desperate. I'll be desperate when something I care about comes under attack. How desperate are you? Why do you take a man of God who's seemingly the only one standing up for his God in the whole entire civilization and put him in the most desperate of situations? Because that man is willing to do any and everything God asked of him if he is desperate. Our blessings of our society, our blessings of our hard work, when we take the, we take the scripture and we put the scripture together and use it as how we build a financial house and we become financially strong and prosperous and successful, and we invest our money and we give our money away and we tithe our money and we become strong financial pillars in the community. Praise God. I'm a living, walking example of that. Tithing, I cannot say enough about it. I can't say enough about tithing from my own experience. But the downside is I get comfortable. And when I'm comfortable, I'm not desperate. The brook dried up. Now he's desperate. The brook dried up. Now we got a problem. God who sent me to this brook just dried up the brook. My level of desperation 
just increased. My need for faith increased. My, my need for a hiding place increased. My need for dependence upon God increased. My need for humility, gratitude just went through the roof. Sometimes that dried up brook is popularity. Friendships. I heard a man say the other day, an elderly man, granted, I'm not sure I want to go back home. All my friends back home have died. That brook's dried up. The brook of health and vitality is drying up. Brook of friendship, of money, of purpose, of dreams, of credibility, dried up. That brook of hope seemingly just dripping right now for some of us. Some of you guys, you're in a, you're in a place you've never been before. You're living in a place at very different times. You're hearing similar stories, but at the same time, you're saying, I'm not like everyone else in the program, but you are. Your social life is shot. You've got none. It's dried up. Whatever money you had is probably gone, dried up. You've been funneled down to the bottom of a place of absolute helplessness and desperation. And it's there at that brook, in that hiding place, that you meet Christ. Don't show disdain for desperation. It's a beautiful thing. Why doesn't God just bring the water? Because he wants to send the prophet to a widow who has no water, has no oil, has no hope, and is about to die. Desperation brings us to ministry to other people. Desperation is something we avoid the majority of our life. But in reality, it's something we always need to keep around as a close friend. We avoid it like the plague, but it has its place, desperation. So our worship comes, team comes up to help us finish this service. I wanna ask you a question. When's the last time you were desperate? Not for desperation's sake. When's the last time you were desperate? In the same way that God is desperate. That's a fair question. What are you desperate for? What can you not do without? What do you have to see God do in your life? And those of you in your, that have desperate people in your life who are desperate for some kind of divine intervention, are you desperate for them in prayer? Where's your brook? You know, many of us need a hiding place, not from bill collectors, thank God, from distractions. Distractions. Things that mean nothing. Frivolous things. No count things. 
Nothing is going to change anybody's life or change the world. They're in, that's in all of our lives. And okay, some of them are enjoyable, but we need a hiding place sometime. This is what we need. Here's a picture of it right here. We need a hiding place. God gives these Israelites a prayer song for a reason. I need in here. This is where I figure stuff out, right here. This is where I hear things, right here. This is where I get desperation, right here. This is where I see things from God's perspective, right here. In a dried up brook, being fed by nasty birds. If that's what it takes, I'll take it. I wanna hear, I wanna see, I wanna do, I wanna serve, I wanna, I wanna help, I wanna, I wanna see breakthroughs, I wanna see victory, I wanna see salvation, I wanna see revival. But you're not gonna see it out here just looking around. You're not just gonna see it walking around enjoying this and enjoying that. You gotta get into hiding place. You gotta get to where you see it from God's perspective. You gotta shut everything out and shut everything down and quiet everything. You just got to be quiet and still. Then you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Go up here, turn 8.3 miles and just place yourself there. I'll tell you when you move. I'm sending you there to be desperate on another person's behalf. I'm sending you there to see a breakthrough. I'm sending you there because it's uncomfortable, because it's dirty, because it's messy, because it's going to change you, it's going to transform you. I'm going to mess with you, and I'm going to make you desperate for me. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to tell the whole world that at your word, the rain will return. I'm going to make you so desperate, uh, counting on me to deliver that rain when you say so, that I'm going to put you in situations where you have got to rely on me. Have to. This isn't going to be some easy parlor game. This is not some magic thing. This is you in your heart longing deeply seething for some kind of answer that comes from me, the Lord God, your hiding place. But how am I a hiding place if you never hide? Too many people are going to hell, Elijah. The depth of your desperation will determine the breadth of the revival. You take these ministers, and God bless them. Thank God, by the grace of God, I'm not one of them. They go into moral failure. The ministries get too big, too fancy, too comfortable, too flashy. And then they end up making us all look like idiots. What's the first thing to go? The hiding place. If it ever was, it's the first thing to go. Jesus went off by himself to solitary places. Hiding place. Hiding in the arms of the Father. Longing for some kind of desperate, desperate heart. The blessing on our land blessing on the church is in danger of costing us our desperation. And then we began to worship complacency and apathy. 
from our ivory towers when we should be beside a brook that's done dried up and our only friends are filthy birds. God's ways are not our ways and our ways are not God's ways. You guys will feed off of each other. You'll encourage one another. You'll celebrate one another leaving the program. God knows I know. I've been over there a few times. But each of you are individuals called by God, put in that place to be spoken to individually, to be built up individually, to be fed individually, be corrected individually, be restored and redeemed individually. And we cannot afford to vicariously live someone else's walk out. We have to hear for ourselves. We have to hear for ourselves as individuals. Your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren have to hear for themselves, my friend. They need a hiding place where they can hear. And it's a silent place quiet, silent, still place. Place of worship. Simplicity. Maybe it's under your stairs in your basement. I don't know where it is, but it's not. It's not in an ivory tower. Probably on your knees or on your face. You're dependent upon every drop that comes from the throne of God. And the plea there is something along the lines, I know everybody's against me and after me. Don't make me desperate and fearful of them. Make me desperate and fearful of you. May we have a fear and reverence for God. And may the most fearful thing in our life be May we be petrified, and I mean this, petrified, petrified. There's no worship in our life. That ought to scare the living tar out of you. Desperation. We should be desperate to worship, desperate to pray, desperate for anyone, clean or unclean, to come alongside and help here today and you never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior I don't know how to say this but I cannot think of any way shape or form you have anywhere to hide that's safe and full of hope and pure and righteous the safest place to be in the world is in the will of God and he's your hiding place we hide in dishonesty and deception and rationalization we hide in excuses we blame other people we do all kinds of stuff 
but in the hiding place, it's just us, just him. So true, so honest, so real, so powerful. You never accepted him, you need Jesus Christ who stood on your behalf and died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin, the debt you could not afford to pay, nor could I, nor could we ever. He did it on your behalf, knowing you individually and wished to shield you, the pressures and the cares of this world, to hold you, if even like a little boy or little girl, and hide you and restore you feed you that you can serve him if you're here today you never accepted him you you have no hiding place you can create him but you can't not like this one i'm talking about you need him he's the best he's your best friend if you need to accept him i want you to raise your hand i want to pray for you i'm not going to embarrass you if you need to be born again and forgiven of your sin receive eternal life would you lift your hand up so i can see it i want to pray for you Thank you. Anyone else? I don't believe, sir, you came here by accident. I don't believe in accidents. I don't do random, and I don't do luck. By giving your heart to him as your personal Lord, and trusting him with your salvation and the forgiveness of your sin and eternal life. You've just placed the lordship of your life out of your hands into his, and you're entrusting him for what is best for you, both now and forevermore. All the days of your life and what's remaining, goodness and mercy will pursue you, and you'll come under the shadow of the Most High. He will be your refuge in your hiding place. From illness, from pain, from remorse, from guilt, from despair, and from fear. And if in your heart, as a result of being here today, you truly believe he is the Son of God and he died for your sins and was resurrected on the third day, your name is actually being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Renew no work of your own, only his on your behalf. And he loves you with an everlasting love. Let's pray that. Let's pray that today to receive him. Lord God Almighty, Father, I come in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of his blood, I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. I confess I fall short of the glory of God. Forgive me of all unrighteousness and sin in my life and help me to turn from it and repent. I declare Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. It says no one can say that but by the Holy Spirit. I sense the Spirit in my own heart tugging on me and pulling me. I yield my life to the Lordship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I declare that I am yours. Do with me what you will. I am by faith your child, your servant, and your friend. Help me to grow in my faith. In Jesus' name, everyone said.
Let's close this service in worship this morning.